Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Brad had mentioned that he and I were both looking at doing a series on the same exact chapter of the Bible, and that's Romans chapter 8. But he was gracious enough to let me go ahead and go with it. And I know that wasn't easy for him. Because, you see, scholars commonly refer to Romans chapter 8 as one of the high watermarks of the Bible. So I consider it both a great honor, but also a great challenge to share it with you over these next several weeks. In this four-part series, and it's an exciting series, it's um, an exciting series because we're about to go on a trip of our own. And for that trip, we're going to need a flight plan. Now, on that note, how many folks here are planning on taking a trip this summer? How many folks are planning on taking a trip this summer? Okay, great. How many of those actually require air travel? How many of those actually... Okay, a handful of you. And just out of curiosity, how many folks here have actually flown on an airplane before? Okay, so that, that's almost most of us. So that's great, because then you'll really understand what we're going to be talking about this morning in laying out the flight plan. So on that note... Let's make sure that our seat backs and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions and ensure that our seat belts are securely fastened. Now, before we go, I have to give you a, a little bit of a disclaimer and an aside in letting you know that my wife, Annette, couldn't be with us here this morning on Mother's Day. Um, she had to take an unplanned flight of her own. A week ago today, her father passed away. So she went back to Nova Scotia, Canada for the funeral, which was yesterday. And so it's been an interesting week at our house. Uh, been lots of moving pieces, lots of stress, and, and lots of things to think about. Did you know that getting ready for a trip, even under the best of circumstances, is stressful? You've got to make sure that you don't forget anything. You've got to make sure that you pack all the right stuff. Don't pack the stuff that you don't need, but pack the stuff that you do need. And one of those things that you do need are your travel documents. And if you're flying internationally, that means you've got to have a passport. And a passport is really important because if you don't have that passport, they don't let you board the plane in the first place. That passport is a legal and official document that verifies your identity and your citizenship. And it guarantees your protection and your safe passage to and from your home country. Now, in our family, we have a deep appreciation for this passport because we have family in two countries. We also have an appreciation for that because early on, Annette and I experienced the importance of having that passport. Or, should I say, not having that passport. Because getting turned back at the border will do that to you. And marrying a Canadian will definitely give you an appreciation for the importance of your passport and your citizenship. You know, it actually impacted how we handled our wedding. And we were married in Canada, but then she wasn't actually allowed to travel with me to where I was stationed in Southern California for several weeks after that. 
And only then, they, they allowed her to do that on what they called a humanitarian parole. And we were living in Southern California, so that meant that it took over two years for her to get her green card to say that she could legally live in the United States. That meant lots of trips down to the immigration office in Los Angeles, where you would get in the, the line at 5.30 in the morning so that you could be there for your appointment. Five years after we got married, she finally became a U.S. citizen. At a ceremony in San Francisco, she joined hundreds of others as they all raised their right hands and pledged their loyalty to the United States. And they also renounced their allegiance to all their former countries. Although Annette will tell you she hummed through that part of the ceremony. <laughs> she received a certificate of naturalization, which was her proof of citizenship. But the bigger deal was getting the passport. Because not only does that say that you're an American and that you're an American citizen, but it also allows you to travel freely from one country to another. It gives you the full rights and protection of being a citizen. Now, our lives, they become a journey of their own. And those journeys are not without their own stresses and frustrations and excitement. And following Jesus, following God, is no exception to that. And the text that we're going to read this morning actually speaks to that very issue. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles with you here this morning, go ahead and turn there now. Now, if you have your device and that's the way that you like to read God's Word, go ahead and on your smartphone or your iPad or your Kindle, go ahead and, and uh, get to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be reading uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Verses 1 through 17. So I'll give you a second to get there. Romans chapter 8. Verses 1 through 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the spirit nature, but according to the spirit. According to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what, the nature, what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit are of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we were children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing here. He wrote this letter to the Romans. And Paul was a Jew, but unlike many Jews, he was also a Roman citizen. And being a Roman citizen gave him rights and privileges that not everyone that lived in the Roman Empire in that day had. He could actually travel freely from one region of the empire to another. You could say that he had his passport Now, one of his goals was to visit Rome. But things always seemed to get in his way. But one day, he got to Rome. In fact, he won himself an all-expenses-paid trip to Rome. Free transportation with armed guards to keep him safe, living accommodations, and even a meal plan. Now, it's not the kind of Uh, vacation you would think that you'd win on the price is right. You see, he was a prisoner. And those living accommodations, those were a prison cell. And that meal plan, that was prison food. And he got there because he was preaching the name of Jesus. Now, Paul was not only an extraordinary Jesus follower, but he was also very well educated, and he was very intelligent, and he had a way with words. He had a way of connecting and relating with his audience so that they could understand it. Unfortunately, we're not that audience this morning. Rightly understood, this whole chapter is talking about the life of a Christian with the Holy Spirit, meaning life with God. And he talks about living by the Spirit rather than living by the flesh. But what does that mean exactly? That language can seem a bit hard for us to follow. Without a little context, we may miss that Paul is also appealing to an idea that was very popular in the world at that time. In fact, it's an idea that's popular in our world, in our time. We just may not know why that is. The authors of the Bible, you see, with the exception of Luke, were Jewish. And so they wrote their, their work from a Jewish point of view. And from a Jewish point of view, you were, actually, you were either a Jew or you were one of everyone else. And the everyone else, if you know your history, in that part of the world was at one time or another either conquered by the Greeks or conquered by the Romans. So Greek or Roman thought were very widespread and popular at that time in that part of the world, which we now know as Europe, the Middle East, and Northern Africa, and even beyond. And there was a wise Greek philosopher who came along the scene before Jesus. And it was a man named Plato. 
Now, Plato was wise and his teachings were very popular and they had a great impact on the world at that time. It affected the way that people looked at the world. Now, you could say that Plato was religious because he believed in a spiritual world. In fact, he believed in a spiritual world and a physical world. And that physical world is the world that we live in, the world that we see and engage and we interact with every day. It's this world that we're living in. But that spiritual world was an invisible, unseen world that would last forever. And his philosophy became known as what we call dualism. Dualism. Dualism from the word duo, meaning two. Now the problem with Professor Plato's dynamic duo of the spiritual world and the physical world was that they never crossed paths. They never crossed paths. And, and the reason is because in Plato's mind and in his observation, these two worlds, they weren't compatible with one another. And, and here's the way that Plato would look at it. He saw that the spirit world, or the spirit, was good. He, he said that the spirit world was good. It represented goodness and perfection. That sounds a lot like heaven. Now, on the other hand, he saw the flesh, and the flesh is a word that was used back then to describe the physical world, everything that we see here around us in the here and now. He said that that was bad. In other words, not good. That was not good. And his, his observation was the physical world wasn't any good. And why he said that is because plants and animals and our bodies and the things that we see around us, they decay, they rot, they break down, they don't last. And then too, even now today, if you look around at the world and you see that the insanity that seems to be everywhere, it's hard to see the world as being good. So according to Plato and much of the world, at that time, if it was possible that there was a heaven that you could go there, then there wouldn't be any physical part of heaven. That's why today many people think of heaven as a place for floating spirits or for ghosts. And Paul knew when he was writing this that that's the way that a lot of the people at that time in that part of the world thought about life. But he was a Jew, and he was also writing to Jews. And the Jews had a very different way of looking at this whole dynamic. They also believed in a spiritual world and a physical world. But in their understanding, these two worlds did cross paths. And in fact, in their understanding, God's plan and his design was for the spiritual world and the physical world to actually come together and unite. And that's actually what the Bible teaches us. According to the Bible, in the beginning, God, being spiritual, created the physical world. But not only did he create it, but he actually walked in this spiritual world in fellowship with humans. And even when we turned our backs on him and rejected him, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in physical form to be with us and to save us. So our ultimate destiny, our ultimate destination, is actually a world that is both 
the spiritual world and the physical world that have come together and are united. Just as Jesus died a physical death but was raised again to eternal life in a physical and spiritual body, we also will rise from our physical death to a destiny, a destination, if you will, that is both spiritual and physical and united and forever. But Paul was trying to clear up issues for both the people who thought like Plato and the people who thought like the Jews. You see, if you believe that the physical world is all bad, then nothing you do in the physical world and in this life matters. And the way that that showed up was that people started living however they wanted to live because it didn't matter. Nothing they did in the physical world mattered. They could eat and they could drink and they could be merry because tomorrow they died. They could trash this world and trash themselves because after all, they never had to live with the consequences afterwards. Kind of the way that some people would treat a rental car. On the other hand, there were Jews who believed so strongly that there was significance both in the spiritual world and in the physical world that they worked really hard to make their physical world perfect. Now, God had given them rules and laws to live by, but the Jews sometimes would crank it up several notches and take it to a whole new level. And they became so focused on living by just the rules that oftentimes they lost sight of God. Now, the problem with following rules and not following God is it's like sweeping and mopping a dirt floor. When you're done, you're in the mud. But Paul is talking about a whole new way of thinking. He begins by telling us that if we have decided to follow Jesus, then there is now no condemnation. Condemnation is the consequence of being guilty. You're found to be guilty, and then once you're condemned, you receive a sentence of punishment. And in the case of sin, the Bible tells us that that punishment is death. But what Paul is telling us here is that if you follow Jesus, then that erases all of that guilt and all of that condemnation and all of that punishment. That means that no matter what we've done, or how we've lived our lives, that there's no longer anything that's wrong or a problem with either our physical or spiritual selves before God. And what that means is that Plato was actually right, at least on one point. A physical world that had turned its back on God had no place being part of the spiritual world. And nothing that we could do in our own power could ever change that. No passport that would be issued down here would ever get you admission into heaven. And the mindset that motivated Jews to keep on trying to make themselves better so they could earn their parole from their own sin was also misguided. You see, the reason that there's no condemnation isn't because of anything that we do in our own power. It's because of what Jesus did when he came in physical form and took on the condemnation and punishment that we deserved. So Paul says, if you follow Jesus, you're no longer considered guilty or condemned. 
But it doesn't stop there because this isn't just being released from prison and, and let out the front gate. This isn't getting released from the principal's office without a discipline slip. This is so much more than that. Because what Jesus did didn't just set us free from something, it set us free to something and to a new life. Toward the end of the passage, Paul tells us that we've been adopted as sons of God. That means that not only did we get our pardon from death row, but now we're part of God's family. So, if you take the whole of this passage today, in our day, in our context, in our time, Paul tells us that once a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, they become a permanent citizen of heaven. And if you're keeping up with your handouts, this is the big idea. That if we're followers of Christ, we have permanent, non-expiring citizenship in heaven. We have a permanent passport. If we are followers of Christ, we have permanent, non-expiring citizenship in heaven. We have a permanent passport. Now, in your worship folders this morning, you actually have a passport. You have this beautiful little folded piece of paper here. And you'll want to hang on to this because it'll form a nice folder that you can use to put the future notes in when you come in the next few weeks. And you'll want to hang on to that. But what I would like for everybody to do, I know not everybody follows along and takes notes, but this morning, this is for everyone. I want everybody who can to go ahead and take this out and look at it. Because I'm going to ask you to write something down. You don't have to write anything else down on the other notes, but I want you to write this part down. I want you to take a pen, and if you don't have a pen, borrow one. Somebody's got one. Or take one of the pens that's underneath one of the seats. Because inside, you have a passport with a space for your name and an expiration date. Your name and an expiration date. And in that spot that says name, I want you to write down your name. In the spot that says name, I want you to write down your name. Okay? And when we're done with that, in the next space, we have a space that says expiration date. Expiration date. And on that line, I want you to write one word. And that word is never. I want you to write down the word never. So you've written down your name and the word never on the expiration date. And when you're done with that, I want you to look at that. Look at your passport. Look at the place where it should be your photo. And I want you to imagine that that's your picture there. So when you're done, it should look something like this. You know, a picture of you with your name written in there with the word never underneath. And I want you to imagine for a second that that's real. I know it's just a pretend piece of paper. I get it, right? But imagine for a second that that's real. And imagine that when God sees you, he sees this permanent passport on file. And he instantly knows that you have permanent citizenship in heaven. Do you realize that if you follow Jesus, that's exactly what you have? Isn't that cool? That means you're a permanent citizen. And your permanent home, 
Your permanent country is heaven. And when you have a permanent passport as a citizen of heaven, you have security and you have acceptance and you have ultimate hope. And that citizenship, I I have to warn you, it carries certain rights and responsibilities. And we're going to talk about that because now that we have our citizenship, we have to act like we're citizens. We have to live as we're citizens of heaven. And these are listed under your takeaway application in the notes. You see, first of all, citizens of heaven don't indulge desires that don't please God. Citizens of heaven, they don't indulge desires that don't please God. Now, this was a problem for those who thought that there was nothing good about the physical world. They assumed that nothing they did here mattered for anything. And the way that showed up was that they would live however they wanted to live. If what you do down here doesn't matter, then just go for it. Do whatever you want. You know, some people even today feel that way. They feel like they're doomed. And that there's nothing that comes after this life. That there's no heaven to look forward to. Nothing better than what we experience right here in the here and now. And so, they think to themselves, even if there was a heaven, I wouldn't be good enough to get in anyway. But we were made for so much more than that. And because we have a future in heaven, what we do here in this life does matter. And when Paul talks about living by the flesh, he's talking about living by the rules and the values of this world. The values that say, do whatever you like. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you feel good or look good. Sadly, though, indulging our own desires in ways that don't please God never works out in the long run. It'll never bring you satisfaction. It'll never bring you happiness. And actually, in truth... The things that do bring us pleasure and that do bring us joy are best enjoyed in the context of pleasing God. But the good news is that instead of studying some long checklist of do's and don'ts, we simply need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. What would a permanent citizen of heaven do? How would somebody with a permanent passport into heaven live their lives? And that's good news because that brings us to the next point because citizens of heaven don't obsess over simply following the rules. They don't obsess over simply following the rules. And this was a problem for those who were so concerned about earning their way that they would focus on all the rules rather than focusing on God. Even today, many Christians seem to be focused more on minding their P's and their Q's than on actually following Jesus. And what that does is that that alienates themselves and others from God. And it also alienates themselves and others from the benefits of being a citizen and having a passport into heaven. You see, on the outside, they may look good, but on the inside, they're broken. And they're hopeless. And they're full of fear. They're full of fear that they'll never measure up. That they'll never be good enough. But if you're a citizen of heaven, then you're already good enough. You already measure up. You already have your permanent passport. And once you have it, you can never lose it. 
You see, pleasing God is focusing on Him, not on the rules. The problem is never our lack of devotion. The problem is our lack of belief. And the next point is that citizens of heaven, they don't live in fear. Citizens of heaven don't live in fear. You know, when we think of citizenship and we think of passports, we think of the scene from that action movie where the good guys are being chased down the the streets of a foreign city. And where they're running to is the embassy. They're running to the American embassy. They want to find safety. And when they get close, they start frantically waving their passport in the air and shouting, I'm an American! I'm an American! And those armed Marines with machine guns come out to protect them. Well, the good news is that if we're citizens of heaven and we have our permanent passport to heaven, we have the 24-7 protection of God and His angels. So citizens of heaven don't have to live in fear. In fact, Jesus tells us in the Bible in Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And the one who can do both, he's on our side. He's our protector. So we don't have to live in fear. And because we don't have to live in fear, there are things as citizens of heaven that we can do. And how that shows up is that citizens of heaven, they, don't take, their, they, they take their cues from the Spirit, not from everyone else. They take their cues from the Spirit, not from everyone else. They don't have to look to others for the answers. They simply need to follow God. But the problem with human nature is this thing we call peer pressure. We look to see what everybody else is doing to try to inform the way that we live, to set our direction and our purpose. And the problem with that on one side is that that leads to some very bad, destructive choices. On the other side, that leads to trying to measure up to what we think other people expect of us. But the problem with finding our purpose and our direction for life from other people is that that's not living as a citizen of heaven. In fact, that's living as a citizen under the power of this world. Now, Paul tells us that we live by the Spirit, and that means that we live with a clear focus on eternity. Our focus is on Jesus, and if we follow Him, we can take risks without having to worry about failure. That's your next point. You can take risks without having to worry about failure. Now, many of you know that I graduated from West Point and then later served as an army officer, and at West Point, they would give us training that would equip us to lead soldiers. And one of those tasks was actually knowing where you were going. That was pretty important. We called it land navigation. And to test that, they would set us loose alone in the dense forest of upstate New York and have us navigate to dozens of checkpoints, and we had to do it all in less than six hours with nothing more than a compass and a map. And I know that dates me because this was before the days when you could access a GPS in your hand or on your smartphone. And let's face it, not everyone is good at this. Some people are directionally challenged. And I'll just tell you, it wasn't me, but it was one of my classmates because he got lost. 
And before they set us loose, our leaders would tell us, you know what, if you get lost, don't worry, don't panic, just hang tight, we'll come find you. But make sure that you drink water, the water that's in your canteens, because it's hot out there and we don't want you to get dehydrated. And this class I made of mine, he got out there and he got alone and he got scared and he got turned around and he panicked. He told me later, he said, I just laid down and I hugged a giant rock and I freaked out. (laughs) But when they found him, he was dehydrated. But did you know that when they found him, both of his canteens were completely full? You see, in his mind, he panicked and he froze. He didn't realize that help was close by and that we would find him. So he hoarded his water in fear. You see, he didn't believe that he'd be found. And what we need to understand is what we believe about the world informs the way that we live. And if we truly believe that we have permanent passports into heaven, then it should change the way that we live. Not to live in fear, but to live in confidence that no matter what happens, our future is both certain and secure in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, too many times we live as if this isn't true. We're afraid to take risks. We're afraid to fail. We're afraid to get hurt. So when it comes to our finances, or our time, or our talents, or our callings, We keep our canteens full. We don't take a risk. But if we're permanent citizens of heaven and we have this permanent passport, we don't have to hoard our lives. We can live lives that honor king and country. We can live our lives so that they honor king and country. And you see, our true king is Jesus and our permanent home is in heaven. So at the end of the day, if we follow him, We honor our country. And then we can renounce our citizenship to the powers of this world, to the power of sin, to the power of those rules that do nothing more than just crush us and make us feel horrible about ourselves. And we can renounce our citizenship to fear. There was a 2004 Steven Spielberg movie called The Terminal. And it was a comedy about an Eastern European traveler named Victor Nadorsky. And he was played by actor Tom Hanks. Now, Victor arrived at JFK International Airport in New York City from his fictional country of Krakowja. But when he got there, war had broken out in his home country. And so his passport no longer had any official standing. And the dilemma that he had was that Customs and Border Patrol wouldn't allow him to enter the United States. But they wouldn't let him go home either. So he actually had to live in the terminal at JFK Airport until the war in his country was over. And that took months. You know, I believe that many people live their lives like Victor Navorsky. They're stuck in the terminal. They want to know that there's more to this life, and they wish that there was a heaven to look forward to. But they either figure that there isn't a heaven, or if there was, I wouldn't be good enough to get in there. Or they live in fear that they'll never measure up. 
Worse yet, perhaps you've looked at religion. You've looked at the church. You've looked at the Bible. And you've found it to be just so confusing. Maybe you're on a flight plan, but you're on a flight plan of your own, and you're piloting that plane. And you're trying to do it all alone, and that is scary. It's like looking at the controls of an Airbus 380 and asked, Can you land the plane? Well, sure. That's easy, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you feel stuck. You feel like you're trying to land that plane all alone. The good news is that you don't have to stay stuck in the terminal. You don't have to keep trying to measure up. And if you've decided to follow Jesus, then you're already unstuck. He's got the flight plan covered. And as for your passport, your application for your passport has been accepted and approved and it never expires. If you haven't decided to follow Jesus, then I have great news for you. If you want your permanent passport as a citizen of heaven, you don't have to go wait in line. You don't have to run out to Walgreens and go get a picture taken. You don't have to fill out this long application. All you need to do is tell Jesus that you can't do this all on your own and that you believe that he was the one that God sent to save you. And then you commit to follow him and then you can renounce the powers of sin and fear that have held you captive in this world. It's just that simple. And once you make that decision, your application is instantly approved. And the only thing that we would ask is that if you do make that decision this morning, that you would allow us to celebrate with you, that you would allow us to encourage you and support you. And you can do that by telling somebody that you know here at Trinity. You can tell me or Pastor Chris. You know, if you're too shy to do any of that, then you could, you could actually use your uh, blue connection card. And write on the back of that. And drop that in the offering plate at the, here in a couple minutes when we're done. All you have to write is that I have decided to follow Jesus. Or you could write, I received my passport today. And for all of us, over the next few weeks, we'll be exploring more implications of having this permanent citizenship in Christ. We'll be talking through the practical applications of following God on His flight plan For our lives. So you won't want to miss out. Make sure that you hang on to your passports and, and bring them back with you. But today, reflect on that and what it means for your life. This morning, let me leave you with some questions to think about. How might your life change if you truly believe that you had permanent proof of citizenship in heaven? And if we all believe that, How would that change the life of our church? And then individually, what step will you take this week knowing that you have permanent citizenship in heaven that you can never, ever lose? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that because of what you have done for us, we no longer are subject to the penalty of sin and death. We're no longer condemned. Because of what you've done, we now have a permanent passport gaining us access forever into heaven. Lord, I want to pray right now for the person who's been strengthened by this message, that you would allow that message to, to really sink in and they would internalize that in a way that will help them to grow 
in their personal life this week, however that looks and whatever next step that you're calling them to take. Lord, for the person who's still on the fence about whether or not you exist or not or whether or not they should follow you, Lord, I'd ask that you would reveal yourself to them. Show them how easy it is to get their passport that allows them to be a permanent citizen of heaven forever. And we pray this, Lord, in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.